At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it, but what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths, and if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? His love never fails, amen? Amen. I am so grateful for that. Well, good morning. With everything that has gone on in this last week, I can't begin to express how grateful I am that we get to come and worship together in song and in word. I'm often reminded of C.T.'s words after the Oxford shooting, when I look at a sunrise or a sunset or the beauty of our surroundings and the glory of God's creation, and yet something happens in our world, and I'm reminded of how fallen this world is, God's creation and its ultimate beauty, and sin stain that's forever present. And that is why I'm grateful that we get to come here. And what a great way to come before the throne of God as our worship team led us. Yet how often do we think of that, that, that we get to come here? It's not out of compulsion, it's hopefully not out of duty, but it's out of love. We get to do this. For each of you here, you've decided that this is more important than what's out there. I'm grateful for that. See, church isn't just a place that we go. It's a community that we belong to. So I normally get some weeks to think about the section of Scripture I get the opportunity to preach on. And if you don't know me, my name is Glenn Aarons, and my wife, Denise, and I are members here. But I get weeks to read the passage, to think about, to pray about, to study, and to write where God leads me. And in the midst of that, Normal life many times give me moments that the Spirit says, yes, you can use that. So a few weeks ago, I happened to be watching some Instagram videos, and because I like worship videos, they tend to fill my feed. And I had one that allowed me to listen to the click track, is what it's called, in the background, and the keys player giving directions during the song, and I had never heard that before. But because I have daughters that serve on the worship teams, I had heard about click tracks, but I actually didn't know what it sounded like. When I was listening to that, Sarah, my daughter, who happened to be home on, uh, on a winter break, she said, hey, that's what's in my ears on Sundays. And I'm like, really? Really? Now, I'm amazed truly that they can work through that noise. That they remember the lyrics, remember the notes to play, that they uh, remember the transitions. And still in the midst of that, they fulfill the purpose of all worship, and that is to worship. And if you watch them to watch our worship team up here, they are worshiping. Their focus in the midst of that noise is God, his glory, his greatness, his majesty, his sacrifice, and his love for his creation. I know that my little brain would get lost in a lot of that noise. It's certainly not my gifting. I'd be focusing on the noise many times instead of focusing on God. I could get lost in the midst of all the directions and distractions and would have a hard time doing what I got up there to do in the first place to provide an environment for us that helps all of us to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, to prepare our hearts to hear his word. 
yet they do it wonderfully. One, it's the area of their gifting. And two, they train. They train. They love God and love his family, and that's why they train. And the same should be true of us. See, there was a lot of noise in Ephesus. It was a large metropolitan city, a a major commercial port for commerce. It was a jewel of the Roman Empire at that time. It was a city with many gods. It was also a city where many people may have considered them spiritual, or themselves spiritual, but not religious. Ephesus contained the temple to Artemis, also known as Diana. And Artemis, or Diana, was the goddess of the hunt, of chastity, of childbirth, wild animals, and the wilderness. The rituals of the temple services consisted of sacrifices and ceremonial prostitution. The temple is listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The temple was so impressive that it caused one writer attributed to a philo of Benzatium to say, I have seen the walls and hanging gardens of ancient Babylon, the statue of Olympian Zeus, the Colossus of Rhodes, the mighty work of the high pyramids, and the tomb of Mesulus. But when I saw the temple at Ephesus rising up into the clouds, all these other wonders were put in the shade. And it was a city that held a lot of noise. In Acts 19, the Bible records how Paul ran headlong into the makers of the shrines of Diana, who appeared to have been a exceedingly large class of people. And it tells of one of them named Demetrius, who started a riot due to the actual and perceived loss of sales for their little shrines that they made for Diana. I'll leave Acts 19 for you to read later, but it will give you a better idea to the noise that existed in that city. We're currently in our study that we are calling Church, Why Bother? We're studying Paul's letter to Timothy while Timothy is still in Ephesus leading the church there. Paul's letter to Timothy is to help him, to help him to train himself and in turn to help the church, to train the church to cut through all the noise around them and that is in their ears so they can truly worship the God of all creation. Paul's intent was laid out back in chapter 3 when he writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. His message to Timothy was telling him, There was still some unfinished business. There was noise not only in the culture around them, but there was noise inside the church too. There was false teaching, which we see in chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And false asceticism, which in its easiest definition is like a type of self-denial or a rigorous religious discipline, but that didn't honor God. Do not marry, do not eat certain foods, and certain myths and wives' tales that Paul references in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We have a lot of noise in our time, too. Would you agree? Look at the world around us. Shootings, political struggles, social media wars, rumors of wars, work, home. So many people with different ideas and opinions and actions. It's easy to get caught up in the noise. I personally struggle with it all the time. How do we stay focused on God, living a life that honors Jesus, and worshiping him when there's so much noise in our ears. Well, we train. Just like Paul wrote in what we know as Timothy chapter 4, we train. Paul wrote, starting in verse 6, If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained 
in the words of faith and the good doctrine you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In chapter 4, Paul had challenged Timothy to pursue godliness in his personal public life, recognizing that God had called him to serve the church in this leadership role. But his concern was not only for Timothy, but for all those that observed his ministry. Starting in chapter 5, Paul guides Timothy in relating to others. Paul, through the Spirit, recognizes that the actions of Timothy and of the church on a whole will influence how a pagan population around them would respond to the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's also why Paul, through the Spirit, was so distinct in the qualifications for leadership, as we saw in chapter 3. The world is watching. Those without faith are watching you, watching me. They want to see if it's real. Can God, through Jesus Christ, actually change lives? Can he actually save sinners? And can he give hope in a world when hope is becoming a very rare commodity? 35 years ago when I became sober, I remember going to my first AA meeting. I went with a foot in my back from my counselor at the time. I didn't want to go and I hated being there. Yet I had to continue as it became a condition of my counseling and my life was falling apart. In time, though, I began to hear people living a life that I had hoped for. They had something I wanted, not all of them, but enough of them that it turned something inside of me knowing that I needed to be there. If I were to get what they had, I needed to be doing what they were doing. 35 years later, I still go. 28 years ago, I entered the church doors for the first time. I did not have a lot of hope for the church in my life. I was watching, and most of what I was seeing was just confirming my bias. Now, mind you, I was looking to confirm my bias, but I didn't have to look hard to find it either. But one place I didn't actually look was in the church. Denise had come to faith about six months earlier, and it was her urging that brought me in those doors the first time. But it was the lived-out faith of some of those members there that kept me in long enough that I repented and believed on Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That was 28 years ago. I still go. Our lived-out faith draws others. So when Peter writes that we should honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason that the hope is, that is in you, it means that people will see the hope that's within us through a lived-out faith. One of the ways that the outside world sees that in us is that the church relates as a family, a family of God. If you would open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy 5, please, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 16. Now, it's helpful to remember that in the original letter, there wasn't chapter breaks as we have them in our Bibles today. These verses are a continuation of the instructions Paul has already been writing. But before we read together, please, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do live in a world with much noise. So much noise. And Father, for all the things that have been happening across our country, with all the different things that are going on, Father, I do pray especially for your, your hand and your heart to be involved with those who have lost loved ones or others in the hospital or even just the trauma that existed at Michigan State this last week. 
Father, I pray that you would continue to open our hearts and our minds to know you, to know Jesus. Quiet the noise for a while now, Father, that we might hear you and hear your voice. For you've chosen just a mere man to stand up here and to proclaim your word, but Father, it is your word. So we pray, Father, we hear your voice now. And we ask this in the precious and matchless name of your Son and our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. So in 1 Timothy 5, the Word of God says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger man as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness in their own household and to make some return for their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good work. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers and going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. One of the first things that I noticed when I came into the church many years ago was how eclectic it was different ages, ethnic groups, socioeconomic classes. It was a hodgepodge of people that somehow came together for a shared ideal is what I thought. Most of whom I probably really didn't want to hang with and most of them probably didn't want to hang with me. In time though, through prayer and God's word, I came to realize that this eclectic group of people was actually family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. God in his word says this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be like has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's 1 John 3. It says later, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's Romans 8. It says, but to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's John 1, verses 12 and 13. See, what I thought was just a strange group of people were actually the children of God gathered together. And that is who we are. And that's who Paul instructing Timothy about. He starts by instructing Timothy by drawing a line in this section to those family relations. Look back with me at verse 1 and 2. 
It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. So while there's still a distinction between families and the church, as 1 Timothy 5, verses 4 and 8 makes clear, it suggests that the kindness, compassion, loyalty, and purity that should characterize our most intimate family relationships should also characterize the relationships within God's family, the church. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. I personally only remember one time that I actually had to encourage my father in a different direction. I took him to lunch to do so. I owed an apology for a couple of things that had happened, but I also had to address the area of his drinking. I didn't have a great relationship with my dad growing up. And I hadn't come to faith in Christ at that point in my life. Yet I knew there was a level of respect that came with his position. And now that I was a father myself with two small children at that point, I understood that better. See, Paul's setting out a basic principle that Timothy and us in application should treat one another with the honor that is shown to family. A healthy family, that is. For some of us, perhaps many of us, that may be a struggle to understand. Sin and the brokenness of our world due to sin has affected the family greatly. God designed the family as a safe, nurturing environment, although sin broke that early. Just look back at Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. Some of us didn't experience that safe and nurturing environment, and that can create issues when the church is described as a family. I know that I struggled with God as Father at first. Lord, yes. Friend, maybe. Father, I had no good role model for that to understand. It's only through the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can truly come to the realization of these precepts. And Paul's instructions here can help us. Paul's exhortation to not rebuke an older man harshly is in direct relation to that. Timothy was a young pastor, and he would run into challenges in his ministry. If he needed to exhort or encourage an older man, he was to do that in the same way that he would encourage his own father, with a level of respect and honor. And that's our first point. We treat one another with honor. See, honor you'll see in Scripture is a major way in how we treat others. A life shaped by the gospel, filled with purity, kindness, and Christ-likeness would provide the credibility for the church to follow and the outside world to see. The idea of honor is throughout the Scriptures. We see it in the Ten Commandments especially. Not only do we honor God by not having other gods before Him and no idols or by not taking His name in vain, but God distinctly lists honoring your mother and father. It's that important. Paul writes, encourage him as you would a father. For brothers, how many of you have brothers? You don't need to show me your hands. Or maybe you have sons. Have you seen the way brothers relate? It can be a pretty rough and tumble relationship, right? I mean, it's definitely peer-to-peer. They absolutely train each other, though, and help each other, and at times they beat each other up. But at the end of the day, in a healthy family, they protect each other. They don't lord something over one another. They honor one another. And Paul continues and says, treat older women as mothers. For most people, mothers are the ones that clean us, hold us when we're hurt. They teach us manners and many other things. They help dress us properly. They nurture us. They guide us. They encourage us. They're the shapers in our lives. Paul wasn't telling Timothy something he didn't already practice, actually, either. If you look at Romans 16, verse 16, you'll see Paul saying, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. 
Older women should be honored in their age and encouraged with affection. And finally, younger women as sisters in all purity. How many tragedies inside the church or inside this world would have been avoided if this advice had been followed? Treat younger women as sisters in all purity. In chapter 4, verse 12, Paul writes, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set to the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And here Paul is giving expression to that in the treatment of younger women. There may be times in a crisis situation where a pastor needs to counsel a younger woman, yet anything outside of that, who is Paul instructing the church to care for and instruct the younger women? Older women. We find that in Titus 2. I believe that that's not only an age moniker, though. I believe it's a maturity level. But yet there isn't a doubt that for long-term instruction and care, the Holy Spirit through Paul gives that duty to older women in the church. So how does this apply to all of us today? If you take a moment and look around here when we're done and look around at your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to see a diversity in culture, socioeconomics, education, traditions, skills, backgrounds. A gospel-formed community will acknowledge and value one another. God has intentionally, intentionally gathered us into a spiritual family. Let's resist the urge to simply gather with those, your close friends that look like us, Resist the trend of degrading other generations like the millennials or Gen X or, or mocking the boomers. Instead, with humility, brotherly love, and impurity, let's engage with each other when we gather in worship. Get to know one another. And life groups are actually a great way to do this. And I want to encourage you if you are not part of one. Because one hour a week on Sundays is no way to get the community that God envisioned for us. Now Paul transitions in his letters somewhat of a lengthy and moderately complex instruction really on the topic of widows in the church. He spends a bit of time on it, yet if you look throughout all of Scripture, you can see how God cares for widows throughout the Old and the New Testament. Psalm 68.5 speaks of God as the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. In James 1.27, James, the brother of Jesus, writes, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Deuteronomy 10.18 says he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And Exodus 22, verses 22 and 23 say this, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. But all of this in caring for these different individuals requires something of us, and that brings us to our next point, that we care for one another with discernment. With discernment. Look back with me at 1 Timothy, starting in verse 3. It says, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Let me say something about that one verse there, because he's talking about younger widows that then have walked outside of the church and started to find their resources, their time, their love, and everything else outside of the body of Christ. Those are people that are marrying outside of the faith, because Paul is not saying that marriage for younger widows is bad, as you'll see in a couple verses. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already, some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. There is no doubt that caring for widows is important to God. Now, I do not believe that this was meant to be a manual that could be taken from the Ephesus church and placed over a church like here at, at uh, Woodside. But the principles that are laid out are certainly pertinent to us. So while we can't say, hey, Paul cited a list, so we have to have a list, we can say that the principles that are articulated here apply to every church that claims Christ. And Paul cites four different types of situations here with widows. Older, faithful widows who have no relatives to support them. This type of widow relies on God. Their husbands have passed, they have no children to care for them, and they have little opportunity to provide for their own needs. But she places her faith on her heavenly Father and serves him faithfully. If God cares for the sparrow and every hair on our head is counted, they know and we know that we can trust him. So much of the power of the church's gospel impact can be traced to the, to the prayers and service of these prayer warriors that serve and petition a God who loves them. So Paul is saying here, without me trying to be cute in any way, is a widow in need is a widow indeed. The second type of widow is older faithful widows who have family. This widow has children or grandchildren. And as adult believing children, they have the responsibility to care for and provide for their relative not to release that responsibility to the church or even today to some government agency. They should be showing godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. The third type of widow is what Paul calls out as unfaithful widows. Apparently, there were those who used their newfound freedom to live for the things of this world. Instead of trusting in Jesus, they indulged in self-indulgence. She may be alive, but she's living as spiritually dead, as an unbeliever. Some of them are described as being idlers, gossips, busybodies. Now, she also needs to be honored, but she's honored by being confronted in the spirit that one would have towards his mother or sister in love and call her to live faithfully to God. And the last type of widow mentioned is younger widows. These widows had the prospect of getting married. Again, Paul advised them to do so if God calls them to it. They shouldn't feel the obligation to remain single. There are many difficulties and temptations as a young widow, and if a healthy marriage possibility comes, they should consider it. In other words, she is to embrace a responsibility for herself, managing her children and her household. The book of Ruth is a great example of that. All of that is to say this. We should use wisdom as we care for the vulnerable. 
there are various types of situations that require the wisdom of God as we live out his compassion and generosity towards those in need. We just have to be careful not to disempower people as we seek to help them or to enable ungodly lifestyles due to our generosity. Paul's points to Timothy is that the church is a family that treats one another with honor and cares for one another with discernment. And please note, though, that Paul insists on taking action. And that brings us to our last point. We fulfill our responsibilities with faithfulness. With faithfulness. Throughout this chapter, we see Paul urging the widows to continue to serve Jesus. Despite their challenges, they're still vital to the mission of God and his church. Encouraging her family in the faith, fervent in prayer, showing hospitality and good works are powerful ministries that widows can employ. And the same is true for all of us. No matter your plight, God has a future for you. Widows and all of us should pursue them without guilt. In verse 16, Paul reveals his motivation so that the church may care for those who are truly widows. A Christ-centered community of faith is a priority to care for those truly in need. We do. We do. We see throughout Jesus' life his concern and heart for the vulnerable. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belong the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 19, 14. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one, the least of these brothers of mine, you've done also for me. Matthew 25, 40. And when John sent a message to Jesus asking if he was the Messiah, Jesus sent back this message. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Matthew 11, that's 4 through 6. For those of you who are caring for elderly parents or relatives or family members with special needs, God highly values your compassionate ministry. Denise and I have had the opportunity with four different family members now to care for them in their final years of life and to hold their hands when they passed away. Although it feels like there may be little recognition, God sees you and he honors you. And I pray that you sense God's affirmation that you are doing his work and your efforts bring him great glory. To us as a church, Are we being faithful to Jesus' desire to care for those who are especially vulnerable, like the widows among us? Or do we get caught up in all the noise in our ears? Do we engage them in ministry? Do we spend time with them? Do we seek God's heart on how he's calling us to meet their needs? Ministering to one another in the family of God is not always easy. It's not easy to faithfully demonstrate the love of Jesus across generations and life situations. We're prone to become like the world and focus on our own lives and desires and marginalize those who slow us down because of their neediness or criticize those older or younger because they don't always see the world the way we do. The church relates to one another as a family, and God has called us to honor one another, to care for one another, to fulfill our responsibility in serving his family. Believer, someone's watching you, the way you live out your life, the words you speak, what you do when you think no one sees you. They all matter.
I'd like to encourage you, and I need it myself every day, to think through the opportunities you have with people around you to share the gospel with and show the love of Christ to in a tangible way. There's no doubt that people are, are watching us. And instead of us being nervous about our performance, let's embrace them and show them the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ. It's our duty. But it should not just be our duty. It's our honor to be able to do so. I'm going to give us a moment to think about these things while the worship team comes back up. And then I'm going to close this in prayer. Also, at the end of our service today, after the song and everything, after the music part is done, we'll have our prayer team up front if any of you need to come and have prayer. If you'd please stand. Dear Heavenly Father, you who are so worthy of our worship and our praise, may all the honor and the glory be to you. Father, we do live in a world with a lot of noise in our ears. So many things that happen that we can't make sense of. But Father, we know and can know that you are in control. If truly not a sparrow falls from the sky without your knowledge, we know that we can trust you. We know that you see us, that you hear our cries, we know that you, Father, are preparing a way for us and have prepared for us a place that is far exceedingly above anything we could ask or imagine. But, Father, you have us here for a purpose, to care for one another, to love one another, to support one another, to encourage one another. And, Father, I pray that we do that. Father, outside of those doors of this church are a lot of people that are certainly searching for something. Father, I pray that through our lives lived out before them that they would see that you are the answer. So, Father, I pray, help us to honor Christ in everything that we do and everything that we say and how we live our lives, not only in this building, but in this world. You've made us your ambassadors. And I am so grateful that I know I never have to do that alone, but I always have you, your spirit that resides within me, that we can know you and love you and reflect your love to a lost and dying world. So, Father, protect us as we go out of here today. Give us strength to meet the day and to meet the challenges in the week ahead until we come together again. And we ask these things in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.